All right, good morning to you. I hope that warmed your heart up just a little bit. Uh, we start a new series. Now, the last two or three years, maybe four years, we have taken a song and based a series on it at Christmas time called The Song of Christmas. Well, this year, we're doing just a little bit different in that we're having the songs of Christmas. And this week, as you can see, is White Christmas. Next week is going to be Blue Christmas. Uh, I think the sermon title is something like, um, Have a Happy Bluish Green Christmas. You need to come and see what that's all about. And then the third week on the 15th with the children's program, we're having I'm Getting Nothing for Christmas. That's about grace, okay? And then on the 22nd, we're going to be a little more spiritual and have O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And then the last week, then we're having Go Tell It on the Mountain. So I think it's going to be a great series as we talk about different things. And I'm very excited about today's. It amazes me. Here's what I told God this morning. You know, of course, we develop these, I developed these messages, and, and then, you know, they come down to, to, to Saturday night and Sunday morning, the, the recooking of it. And uh, yesterday was just not a very good day for me. I just, you know, just, it just wasn't a good day. Um, had, how many of y'all ever had acid reflux? Oh, yeah. Well, Friday night, I had a bad, I mean, a bad one. Woke up in the middle of the night and all that junk in his road and stuff. So I didn't sleep good. It was not a good thing. Fortunately, by the way, just want to know, that happens about every year with me, maybe every two years. It's not a regular occurrence. But anyway, so Saturday just wasn't a good day. And so I went up and studied Saturday night, and it just wasn't coming together. I even told Judy. I said, you know, this, I don't know about this sermon, Judy. I just don't know about it. So I woke up this morning after a good night's rest, and, and uh, boy, God just, you know, God, a lot. He really does. It's just really cool. And how this came together. So regardless of how I present it, the, the truth is so powerful, a white Christmas. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So anyway, so it was 1940. And Irving Berlin was in La Quinta, not a La Quinta Inn, but in La Quinta, California. And he was there. Uh, he would go out and relax and things like that. And then he'd write songs. And, of course, you know, a very famous songwriter. And so apparently it was late into the night and he was writing songs. And so he wrote a song. And I guess his secretary was in another room, did not mention her being in the same room, gratefully. And uh, so he calls her and says, get over here and bring your pen. Grab your pen. And he said, I've just written the best song I've ever written. And then he says, no, I've just written the best song anyone has ever written. And it was the song, White Christmas. Now, keep in mind, in Europe, the war is already raging. Okay, England's in big trouble. France is in big trouble. So there's unrest in the world. But America's not in the war. So America was coming out of the Great Depression. Things were going pretty good in America. Um, and then came December 7th, 1941, and uh, Pearl Harbor, and we were dragged into the war, both with Japan and with Germany, and uh, things went south pretty fast. I mean, the first year of the war, we were getting beaten everywhere we went. It was very, very difficult. And a lot of soldiers were on the field, uh, in, in the field of battle. And so in 1942, Bing Crosby, who you just heard sing that, released the song White Christmas. And it became the greatest single ever released. Over 50 million copies have been sold. Now, to appreciate this, you've got to put yourself in the position of a soldier. And you're on the battlefield. You're hunkered down in a foxhole. Or, or perhaps you're pulled back from the front just a little ways. And someone's got a radio or something. And this song comes on. Bing Crosby singing White Christmas. And dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. And imagine the stirring of the heart. And they remember uh, the times that were better. Times when they were not sitting in a foxhole. Times when their buddies 
were not dying. And it really stirred the emotions of the American soldier. And again, it went on just to explode all around the world as a favorite Christmas song. And so, so I want you to imagine, because you see, the song is not sentimental because of snow. The snow is, the snow is really incidental to this. The song is about the heart. The song is about the longing of the heart for better times. The song is about the, the longing of the heart for when times were good. Well, long before Irving Berlin in 1940 and Bing Crosby in 1942 um, wrote that song, um, actually long before the first Christmas. In fact, the Bible says long before the foundation of the world was laid, God was dreaming of a white Christmas. He was dreaming. He could look and see the, the effects of sin on man um, as man fell and you know, disobeyed him. And he was dreaming. He was planning. He was orchestrating a plan for a white Christmas. A Christmas that could bring broken man back into relationship with him. He, when, when the garden occurred and when, when Adam Eve sinned and he slew those first animals and made skins for them to cover their nakedness and their shame, which represented sin, you know, he could see that the long-range forecast was for a white Christmas. When the children of Israel were getting ready to leave Egypt and God told them to find a lamb without blemish and to sacrifice that lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, which now we know is the Passover... The long-range forecast called for a white Christmas. When, when Ruth was, was beginning to marry Boaz, and Ruth and Naomi had a hard time, hard time, and they came back home, and, and Ruth met Boaz and married him. And from his loins and from their union, Christ would eventually come. The long-range forecast was for a white Christmas. And then came Isaiah. And all of a sudden... The long-range forecast wasn't so long anymore. You, you've watched the news. You've watched Jim Razor. And, you know, he'll say, now there's a possibility of a snowstorm in about a week. We'll let you know more later. And as the time gets closer and closer, all of a sudden it becomes more certain that snow is going to fall. And what happens is IDOT gets busy. IDOT gets busy. And they, and they crank up the snow plows and make sure they're in fully functional mode because they know they're going to need them. They, they get ready and they begin to salt the roads. Either with the liquid or the salt. They salt the road because they know the snow is coming. Well, about the time of Isaiah, it was no longer a long-range forecast. It was a couple hundred years. That sounds like a long time for us, but it wasn't. You know, a couple hundred years, the white Christmas would come. And so God was preparing, and just like the dot cranks up the snow plows and gets the salt ready, you know, God looked down from heaven and said, the white Christmas is coming, get ready. The white coming is Christmas. Crank up the snow plows. Get the salt trucks ready because the white Christmas is coming. You know, Brent read that to us in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 7. For unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born. You know, that was the, the uh, forecast. In Isaiah 53, it talked about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, snow, the winter storm was coming that would give us the white Christmas. And finally one day... About 2,000 years ago, Mary conceived, although she was a virgin, and a son of God was born. And the possibility of a white Christmas became a reality. And through that white Christmas, sinners could become saints. Through, through that white Christmas, 
broken people to be made whole. It's just, it's just an amazing, amazing thing what God had planned for us. And long before, long before even the need for white Christmas was there, God was planning his white Christmas. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, listening to scriptures, it's great. He says, come let us sell this. God is, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, but he would be speaking to us too. He says, come let us settle this. Um, one translation says, let us reason together. Another translation said, let's discuss this. Um, let's mull this over. And we're going to find out what that this is in a more clear way toward the end of the message. But we get a glimpse now. Jesus, our God says, come let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins, though your brokenness... Be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. As white as snow. And what's amazing is, you know, snow covers the ugliness of the earth. Brent, you've looked out a window before after a snowfall and the dead grass is all covered up and, you know, where the dogs have run is all covered up and it's a beautiful white thing. Well, God, God's going to do something more. You know, that, that ugliness would represent our sin. And He's not going to just cover the ugliness, He's going to change the ugliness to as white as snow. And he does that through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. That's the power and the majesty of God's white Christmas. Now, Paul would later put it this way. Paul would later say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he would say, now watch, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul put it. Paul put it that through Jesus Christ, we who are so dark in our sin could have no charges against us. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that's a big deal. And the reason, you've got to imagine though, to get the power of the big deal, imagine you're in a courtroom. And you are, well the old saying goes, you're as guilty as sin. And then the judge says, not that you're not guilty. But the price has been paid. The fine's been paid. The time has been served. You are free to go. And that's the power of God's white Christmas. Isn't that amazing? Come on, amen? I mean, you've got to get that. Because the, the opposite of that is hell. The opposite of that is eternally separated from God. The, the opposite of that is a hopeless world. The, the opposite of that is a dark world. But when God brings his white Christmas in, when God sent his son Jesus and we act on what he did, then there comes a time there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a powerful truth. Now, I'm going to throw something up there, um, a slide, that talks about something that may seem out of sync. You know, it is the responsibility of every believer to guard the reputation of the gospel and refute the false claims of religion. It's the responsibility of every believer to guard the reputation of the gospel and refute the false claims of religion. And let me tell you, you don't understand why that's really important, but I'll give you a hint now. It's because there's so much falseness out there. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of snow globes out there. Now, again, you can't imagine this, okay? But there is a commercial on TV right now. I don't even know what's advertising. Where, where one wanted to live, I think, in California, and another person wants snow, so they build this giant snow globe. You see it on TV, you know? And they're inside this snow globe, and all this snow, and outside of the palm trees. Well, I want you to know that we can't crawl into a snow globe, but when you shake that snow globe up, have you figured out that's not real snow? It's fake snow. 
And, and there's a lot of junk out there floating around the world that people want you to believe is real. And there's only one true gospel, and that is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ. So it's our responsibility, okay, it's our responsibility to make sure the world knows the truth about the gospel. And not, not what, what I would call uh, the false claims of religion. Now, here's a picture of what makes white Christmas white in God's eyes. I love this. In 1 John 2.2, 2, it says this. He, and that's Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a big word, okay? And there's not a small word, really, to state what that big word means, okay? But, but here's part of what it means. When it says he is the propitiation for our sin, he's the atonement, he's the payment for our sin. Because, you know, the Bible said that the payment for sin is death. The payment for sin is eternal separation from God. That is what we deserve. But here comes Jesus, born on that first Christmas, on that white Christmas, and here's the, the perfect Lamb of God who has the ability to grow up and die on a, an old rugged cross, and he can take black lies and turn them into white lies. He, he can take lies that are darkened by sin and turn them into pure lies. He's the perpetuation. He's the atonement. You know, when he, when he was... Uh, crucified on this cross when they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet and they pierced his side and, and you know he's bleeding to death through the crown of thorns all that going on he was the atonement he was the payment for your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin but not only that not only was he the atonement he was the appeasement because God's wrath is on sin and so when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he pay the price for our sin, but he absorbed the wrath of God. Do you understand? Do you understand that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, all the judgment of God, all the judgment that we deserved as sinners was poured out on him? He's the, he's the atonement and he's the appeasement for our sin. But here's what's beautiful. Watch. But not ours only. But also for the sins of the whole world. See, that's why, you know, it's, it's important we do what we do in Harrisburg. But that's why we've got to get up into Chicago and the United States and, and Nicaragua and Haiti and, and all those places and Africa and, and China and London and all these different places. Because Jesus died for the sins of of the entire world. Now, don't you dare be sitting there going, well, that's all well and good. Yeah, that's because you're saved. You've heard the good news and you've acted on the good news. But what about the guy in Africa who's never heard? What, what about the guy in Africa who doesn't have, hey, I've got news for you. What about the guy three blocks from here who's no one ever shared about Jesus? I'll never forget Cindy Messmore. That's about three blocks down the road. We knocked on her door one day and told her about Jesus. And you know what she said? She said, Dwayne, no one has ever told me this before. No one has ever told me this before. You don't have to go to Africa. Around your house, around your neighborhood, are people who do not know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we've got to share it. That's why we've got to tell all about this. He's the propitiation, the atonement for our sins, and not ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. And that's God's white Christmas. Now, it helps us to understand that when we can see it in a story. And so we have this wonderful story today 
about the, the gospel power occurring in the life of a woman. And we find it in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse number 25. Now, we're really, you won't even know this if you didn't know the story, but we're coming in the middle of the story, but you wouldn't know that unless I told you, because this story stands by itself. So this is a story about a woman in desperate need of a white Christmas. The, the reality, although your sins be as scarlet, was real to her. It was real to her. Let's look at Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Now, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Now, a woman suffering for bleeding from bleeding for 12 years. Now, again, you've got to understand the connotation to really get the impact of what this says. This woman had a bleeding issue, as women have, but it never stopped. Okay, now, um, let me get my number right. 4,380 days. That's 12 years. 4,380 days she woke up. And she had this physical ailment where she was constantly bleeding. Every day she woke up to that pain, that suffering, and that rejection. 4,380 days. Let me help you. You go to school in the first grade. You graduate 12 years later. That's the time she bled. For 12 years, her life was a mess. For 12 years. And here's what you've got to understand. It not only was a physical deal, it was a social deal. Because then, when a person had this kind of an issue, no one wanted to be around her. It's almost like leprosy. The, the church, the church would say, you're unclean, we don't want you. The, the community would say, you're unclean. We don't want you. And I'm certain her family, even her very family, says you're the black sheep. You're unwanted because you're not worthy. Unwanted, unworthy, unclean. They would have connected her illness with sin. They would have said God is cursing her because she obviously is a sinner. So can you imagine for 12 years? Can you imagine for 12 years? 12 years waking up. And physically, you're anemic. Your iron count is zero. You're desperate. You go to church. No, sorry. Your community says, we don't want you here. Go find another neighborhood because you're bad for the neighborhood. The family says, this is obviously some sin in your life. We don't even think you're worthy. What a hard situation to be in. Desperate for something. Desperate for God's white Christmas. He goes on and says, she had endured much under many doctors. Now, again, this is not a slam against doctors, obviously, but in that day, their medical skills were so limited. And, and they would have connected her illness to sin. So what they wanted to do was fix her. Anyone tried to be fixed before? You know, if you're fat, just go on a diet. You know, just 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 do it. You know? If you have an addiction, just do it. Just just quit. You know, you hooked on alcohol, you know, just stop drinking. You know, everyone everyone has a fix for people who are broken. 
But chances are they're not broken in the same way, so they can tell you, just do it. If you're alive and breathing today, you probably have a situation in your life where you tried to do it and you couldn't. You tried to do it and you could not. Well, she's, this is her. She, she has been to many doctors. And look what it says. It says she has spent everything she had. So she was broke. She was broke. Every dollar she had went to the doctor's who not only did not want to heal her, they just wanted to fix her, and their idea of a fix was just stop. Whatever sin's causing this, quit it! And then it goes on and says, and she had, and she had spent everything she had, and she was not helped at all. Not only was she broke, she was broken. She continued to be broken. And then the last part there where she says, on the contrary, she became worse. Broke, broken, and breaking. Life was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So you ask yourself the question. So why did she keep going back to the doctors? Now again, keep in mind, if she tried to go see the pastor, he would have nothing to do with her. If, if, if she went to the, to the government, they would have nothing to do with her. And again, I am certain... Her family wanted... Does anyone identify with that? Unwanted wherever you go. So why does she keep going back to the doctors? Desperation. She was desperate. What she had probably wasn't going to kill her, but it would make her miserable and unwanted and unworthy all of her life. Can you even imagine living that? Can you even imagine living that? There's a quote from a 1995 movie called The American President. And in, in the movie, they, I, I've changed a word. They used the word leadership. I used the word hope. But, but this is so powerful. When I heard this, it stuck with me. One of the characters in the movie says this. People want hope. Can you agree with that? People want Remember Rick Warren said, you can't live a minute without hope. People want hope. And the absence of hope, they will listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. And that is so happening. You want to know why we have an opioid addiction problem? Because people are searching for anything that will give them a release, an escape. And they would call it maybe even hope. You want to know why infinite wisdom. We now have approved marijuana. Oh yeah, I know money's the real reason. But you know what's going to happen? Yeah, people are going to start buying that stuff looking for an out. Looking for an escape. Looking for hope. They're not going to find it. But, but, but when you're so hungry for something better, whoever steps up to the microphone, then you'll listen. And by the way, just as a freebie, we got to be careful when it comes to our turn at the microphone. We don't speak of church. We speak of Jesus. Church is not the answer. Religion's never been the answer. Never will be the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. When it comes to our turn at the microphone to speak to someone, make sure they know you're telling them about Jesus. Goes on and says this. The quote says this. They're so thirsty for it. They'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage. 
And when they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. And that's what's happening. Our culture is drinking the sand. They're so desperate for a better life. They're so desperate for something. They're so desperate for something that will relieve the pain of life. They're drinking the sand. The other character answers that quote with this quote. People don't drink sand because they're thirsty. They drink it because they don't know the difference. The difference between water and sand. They don't drink the sand because they're thirsty. They don't know the difference. In our culture today, they don't know the difference. They're searching and looking, but they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know the difference between between truth and hope and a lie and hopelessness. Whatever the media sells, whatever the TV sells, whatever society sells, they are buying it by the boatload because they're hopeless. And they so desperately want to be happy. That's why she went back to the doctors. She was ready to do anything to gain something. She was ready to do anything to gain something. Anything had to be better than what she had now. And believe me, there are people in this room or listening on the radio or on Facebook Live who feel that very way. That's why we got to guard the gospel. That's why we have to guard the gospel. Because the gospel is truth and hope. That's why we have to be good guardians of the gospel. And speak up strongly against religion or whatever else they're selling out there today. Well, in verse 27... There comes this glimmer of hope. All it says in the first part of verse 27 is, Having heard about Jesus. Having heard about Jesus. Someone was talking about Jesus. She had heard things like, There's a young rabbi who opens the eyes of blinded people. There's a young rabbi who can open deaf ears. There's a young rabbi who can open the mouth of the mute. There's a young rabbi, it is reported, there's a young rabbi who can even give life to a dead man. There's a young rabbi who speaks like no one we've ever heard before. There's a young rabbi who heals the walking dead. Leprosy. And that and that just that just exploded in her mind. This was something new and fresh. This was not another doctor with another meaningless answer. Just fix yourself. This was something different. She heard about Jesus. The old song says, I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came. From glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch, a hopeless person, a broken person, a person in need of rescue, an addict, a bad dad, a bad mom, to save a wretch like me. I I heard about his groaning of his precious blood atoning 
And then I repented of my sins, and I won the victory. She was willing, her desperation, in her desperation, she was willing to try anything. Well, let's look what happens. In verse number 27, the second part, she came up. Now, notice there's no, there's no transition. She heard about Jesus, and the next thing we know, she's with Jesus. Okay? Perhaps, by the way, you know, Jesus was in a huge crowd. Maybe she joined the crowd and asked, what's going on? Well, there's a rabbi here. And he's doing things that are unbelievable. Maybe that's how it happened. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothing, I'll be made well. Can someone say amazing faith? Twelve years of go fix yourself. Twelve years of unwanted. Twelve years of we get mad at God if you don't answer our, call, our prayer in five minutes. If we pray a prayer in a day and the answer's not there the next day, we get all fired up at God. Twelve years. You're not wanted. You're unclean. You're unworthy. She hears about Jesus, and in a moment of incredible faith, she snuggles her way up through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. What drove that? What drove that? Desperation. Desperation. See, desperation can lead to disaster. Desperation can lead to... A lot of bad decisions were made in desperation. Financial decisions, employment decisions, marriage decisions. Desperate. Desperation can lead to disaster. But that same desperation directed toward God becomes a fertile field for faith. That same desperation, when it's directed toward God, becomes a fertile field of faith. And for a Christmas miracle. She could have said, he can't do anything. No one can do anything for me. But instead, her desperation, because of her faith, drove her to Jesus and set her up for a Christmas miracle. She was about to have her white Christmas. Well, Patrick Overton said this about faith. And I've used this, I've got this in 1980. And it's been, Lane keeps it hung up in her office, our secretary. When you come to the edge of all light you know and are about to drop off into the darkness of the unknown, faith is knowing that one of two things will happen. Either it will be something solid to stand on or God will teach you how to fly. That's faith. Well, verse 29. Here it is. Here's, here's White Christmas. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased. Now, did you notice something there? So he says, she says... If I could just touch the hem. Now, now, now listen. Whoa, whoa. She's not saying, I think the robe can heal me. She believed that the man in the robe could heal her. Don't miss that. It wasn't the robe that could heal her. It was the man in the robe that could heal her. Okay? Get that really into your mind. Okay? So, so she's there and she reaches out and touches. Doesn't say a word. Jesus didn't say a word to her. She didn't say a word to Jesus. What did she do? She believed. Simple. Boy, we underestimate this faith thing. 
Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. Amen? You know, Paul Paul said, well, we don't walk by faith, we walk by sight. I'm sorry, I got better. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. So, so she believes, and instantly her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her infliction. She touches in faith, touches the robe of Jesus, and instantly she's healed. And she sensed it. I first wrote down this. I wonder what that felt like. I wonder what that felt like. How did she know? You know what I think I figured out? It felt like October 26, 1975. The day I heard the testimony in church of a deacon who came to the conclusion that he was lost and had the courage to pull off the road and get down some wet grass and ask Jesus to come in his heart. And that morning, I was, as a song director in a church, I got my pastor and went to his office and said, Dude, I am lost. I need Jesus. And all I can tell you is this. That day... That day, when I asked Christ to forgive my sins, I felt like a ton of of shame and guilt and unwantedness and unworthiness was gone. And I think that's what she felt. It was more than a physical healing. It was a spiritual healing. And I'll show you that at the end of the story. Can I have a witness there? If you ever trusted Jesus, do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you say, Dwayne, I know what you're talking about. When I trusted Jesus, I felt that. I knew that. And she did too. She knew it without saying a word. She knew that she was made whole. There's a song that, that Laney sang just a couple, oh, a couple months ago. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power, power in his name. One name can save one name breaks every chain. I want to tell you something. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're saved or lost. Well, I can't guarantee you. See, God, is, God does his own deal. And if you're physically ill today and you trust Christ, I can't promise you that he will physically heal you. But I can guarantee you he will spiritually if you're listening on the radio today and you have an illness, I can't promise you that God in His wisdom would, would choose to heal you. He may well. I've heard stories. I've seen stories. We've seen in Africa. We've seen demons released. We've seen broken bodies healed. But God chooses how He acts. There are other women, I'm sure, with issues of blood. But this is the one. But I can promise you this. If you're here today and your life is hopeless... Your life, you are dreaming of a white Christmas. You are dreaming for something that will be better than you've got now. I can guarantee you that Jesus Christ will deliver. I can guarantee you Jesus Christ will deliver. Religion won't. Church won't. Start this. Stop that. It won't. But Jesus Christ will. Guarantee you he will. You come to him in faith, turning from your sin and trusting him. And he will not fail you. He will not. Let you down. Well, the story continues. In Mark chapter 5, verse 32. But he was looking around to see, because the disciples had said, I got to look at verse 31. The disciples said, you know, he realized that power was gone from him, okay? And then the disciples said, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? 
As soon as she touched Jesus in faith, as she, can't let this one go by. As soon as she touched Jesus in faith, okay, Jesus knew it. As soon as she touched Jesus in faith, Jesus knew it. A little quote that I came up with. You know, if you set off a nuclear weapon, nations will notice. You touch just the hem of his garment in faith, and the God of the universe takes notice. Set off your nuclear bombs. It'll make the news. Touch the hem of his garment in faith, and it makes news in heaven. That's powerful. That's powerful. Well, in verse 32, he, he was looking around to see who had done this, who had touched him. And the woman, with fear and trembling, and that's so who she was, or who she used to be. That's all she knew was fear and trembling. Who was going to slap her next? Who was going to reject her next? Who was going to say no next? With fear and trembling, she comes. Boy, is she going to experience something different. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole The church said, you're unclean. The community said, we don't want you. Your kind's not welcome here. Her family would have said, you're unwanted. You know what Jesus said? Daughter. Daughter. He said, daughter, your faith has saved you. See, there's more going on here than just an issue of blood. Her sins were as scarlet. And the white Christmas is that Jesus, the Son of God, has the power to forgive your sins and her sins. Your faith has saved you. Listen, I don't know what addiction you've got. I don't know what, what your sinless looks like. I can only tell you this, that God's grace is greater than your sin. Whether it's a, you think yourself as a short sin list, you know, I'm pretty holy dude, you know, I'm pretty good. You're wrong, but I'll go and give you that. Or whether, or whether you know, Dwayne, you don't know that they know me by first name at the county jail. I'm so hooked on meth, I can't see straight. I'm, I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to porn. I've been convicted of this or convicted of that. (laughs) He wants to call you son. He's just waiting on you to act in faith. Just like her. She acted in faith. And he called her daughter. He wants to call you son or daughter. (laughs) your, Your faith has saved you. There's something more going on here than just a physical healing. But, but he does say that. He goes, you know, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, my goodness. She couldn't even spell peace. Her, her life was constant war. Constant war. Battling inside of her. Unworthiness. Uncleanness. Society rejects me. I reject me. I hate me. They hate me. Go in peace. Let me tell you something. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven and go in peace, 
Happy White Christmas. It's just like you've been dreaming of. It's just like you've been, yeah, it's just like you've been dreaming of. And then, in her case, be healed from your affliction. And by the way, there's an affliction he's going to heal you of. It's called your sin. He's going to take care of your sin issue. He's not going to be like, you know, that Christmas scene, member where the dirt's just covered up? He's going to eradicate your sin. Because you see, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, He who knew no sin, that would be Jesus, the Lamb of God, that was born on Christmas Day and died on, on Good Friday. You know, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So God just doesn't cover our sin up. He doesn't, he doesn't get his magical little can of, of white spray paint and You give your sin to Jesus, he gives you his righteousness. Merry Merry Christmas! Merry White Christmas. That's what you've been longing for. That's what you've been longing for. He wants to call you son. He wants to call you daughter. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to heal you of your affliction. And I say, you'll still have battles, but you'll never walk that battle by yourself. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I loved it what Noah said the other night when we were talking about salvation in my office. He said, but Brother what if I sin really big? I said, oh, Noah, there's good news. It's already forgiven. It's already forgiven. When you trust Jesus Christ, all your past sins and your future sins are taken care of. That's called God's grace. That's called God's grace. He's got you. You don't have him. He's got you. You don't have him. So remember I told you at the beginning of the message, when we were talking about Isaiah 118, we were talking about let's settle this. Let's think this over. Let's mull it over. Let's talk about it. Well, here's how it all pans out. Now we're like 60, 70 years past the first Christmas. Maybe 70, 80 years past the white Christmas. First one. Here's how Paul said it. In him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We have salvation. We've been bought back by his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, I don't know what you got going on in your head. What's your deal? I just tell you this. Whatever's your deal, God's grace is greater. Whatever your deal is, God's grace is greater. He, he forgives our trespasses. How? According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. I love this. You know, riches of his grace lavished on us. Riches of his grace lavishes on us. A long time ago, I was in the habit. Waitresses fear me. You can ask Tim or, or Jeremy. Because nothing ever is normal. You know, soft bacon, eggs over easy, not too hard, toast, you know, cooked this way. You know, waitress just fear me. Well, I, I would go to barbecue barn with Judy, and I don't know what the deal was. I really don't know, but all I can tell you is this. She always gets more french fries than me. I, I'm telling you, Judy, is this true? It is true. I don't know if she looks at me and goes to her and goes, she needs the french fries, you obviously don't. I don't know. All I know is, so, so I finally got bold one day, and I said to the waitress at the barbecue barn, I said, hey, give me a boatload of french fries. You know, a boatload. And so um, I, I got in the habit of doing this, but this particular night, she said, well, I said, give me a boatload of french fries. She said, okay. It worked, by the way. 
You always got more french fries. Always work. So that night, sure enough, here comes the barbecue sandwich, and the basket was just full of french fries. I, this is great, you know? So I get the ticket, and I take it to the counter, and I look down at it, and she had written down, bloat load of french fries. <laughs> Blow load of French fries. Well, that's, you know, that's what I think about. God gives us a blow load of grace. He doesn't sprinkle a little grace on us. He doesn't give us just a teaspoon of grace. He gives us a blow load. He, he lavishly, lavishly pours his grace on us. And then in Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us. Oh, see, he rescued this lady. He rescued this lady from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Wow. Merry White Christmas. If you're here today and you know Jesus, woohoo! Someone shout, Amen! Wow, that changes everything. And that's mine, I own that. But maybe you're here today, and you've tried religion, you've tried people fixing you, um, you know, you tried start this and stop that, and you said, you know, I, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to do church, you know. You, what you're going to find out, it's those things, it's like going to the doctors, and it didn't get any better, in fact, it got worse. Because, see, if you come to church, I'm going to tell you a secret, it's true for Christians too. If you come to church and all you do is listen to the message, you'll probably feel more guilty than ever. You've got to act on the message. See, like, you know, like, like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. You've got to confess your sins so God can forgive your sins. And that's, talking about, that's not talking about relationship. It's talking about fellowship. It's talking about fellowship. So you've got to act on it. You've got to act on it. See, the woman acted. She could have said, when she heard about Jesus, and you know, could have debated, well, should I act, should I not? Somehow she got the boldness or desperation, you know, drove her with boldness to, to go and touch the hem of his garment. And when she did it in faith, she got the attention of God. How big is that? So if you're here today, and this is you. You've been drinking sand. You've been trying everything, trying to find something. You've been trying everything to find something. You've tried all these different things, and your life is still just a mess. Well, I don't recommend church. We want you to come. We don't do this because we have to, hopefully. We do it because we like to. We love to. But church won't get you to heaven. But what Jesus did on the cross will. You know, again, touching, watch this. Are you ready? Touching the hem of garment, of his garment, did not save her. Her faith saved her. Remember what he said? Your faith has saved thee. There was no pageant, magic power in the robe. Don't, you know, don't get on TV and they got handkerchiefs and, and robes to sell you. The power is not in a handkerchief or robe. The power is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus. So my friend Brent's going to be standing down in just a moment. We, we do this every week. We call it our time of decision. And especially today, we want to give you the chance to act. If you're here today and this rung your bell, you know, you, you may have all this stuff going in your life just like she did. Maybe all your life you've been called unworthy, unwanted, unclean. And you're just about beat up. And you need some hope. Well, that hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not a pill. It's not a bottle. Okay? It's in Jesus Christ. And my friend Brent would love to tell you today about that hope. And that hope can be yours.
how you can have, even though it's December 1st, you can have your white Christmas right now, right here. Let's pray. Wow, Father, this story never gets old. When I think about how undeserving we are and how messed up we are and how before the foundation of the world was even planned, you were thinking Christmas. That's amazing to me. And as the time brought nearer, you just started giving us all these wonderful clues about a white Christmas. A child would be born. A son is given. And then he came. The spotless Lamb of God named Jesus came. He lived that sinless life and died for us. That broken people like this lady and like me could have forgiveness of sin. So God, if there's a friend here this morning, or maybe on, on FaceTime Live, or, or, or maybe, Lord, on, on the radio if we're still cooked up. Lord, I want to pray in Jesus' name. Give them the faith to believe that you can forgive their sins. They've got to act on it, God. They've got to act on it. You act in the realm of faith. And I want to pray that, Father, for someone here that's so broken, that you give them the faith to believe. Thank you for that. Jesus, I love you today. And I just want to thank you for leaving heaven and coming and being born. God, I thank you for giving us a white Christmas. Lord, the things we dream of can become reality. Where dreams come true is at the foot of the cross. Wholeness, completeness, peace, joy. Where dreams come God, only you can act on the hearts of men and women and children. So I'm asking you to do that. Draw people to yourself today. I know when they get there, they're going to find a loving Father and a wonderful Savior. This is your time, God. In Jesus, I pray in your precious name.